Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Alan, and this morning we are talking about the power of God to reclaim marriages. We're talking about reclaiming marriage. Now, anybody who's been married for any amount of time knows that there are seasons in a marriage where you look at your marriage and think it's not all that you hoped it would be. That anyone who's been married for any length of time has, has seen that. You've, met, you've seen other couples, and you see what they look like, and you, you, wish, you realize there's something missing. You go to a restaurant, and you look over at someone else, uh, a married couple at their uh, table, and you see how they're talking with one another, and you're thinking, okay, there's, there's something that is missing here. Or even worse, because what's unfair about this next uh, comparison is comparing ourselves with the TV shows and the movies that we watch where we watch uh, uh, fictional couples in fictional relationships with beautiful actors and actresses saying lines given to them by professional writers. And we watch that and we feel the emotion of that and we think, why can't I have that in my marriage? Because it's just, it's just not fair, right? I mean, it's just a, a completely different thing. So here we have this image of where we want our marriage to be. Maybe it's where we hoped our marriage would be when we first got married. Or maybe it's our understanding of where we believe God wants marriage to be. And then we have where our marriage actually is. And so how do we bridge that gap? How do we, how do we um, make the move from here to here? How do we restore marriage to what it could be? How do we revitalize marriage to a thriving place? How do we reclaim marriage. Now, I don't have any illusion that a 30-minute conversation, a 30-minute talk is, is going to do that, uh, uh, but my hope for our time here today is that we would at least walk out of this place believing that it's possible, that we would at least believe reclaiming marriage by the power of God in your life is possible. Now, if you are single here today or single again, then I still believe this is a relevant conversation. It's a relevant time for you to be here with us today because I think what we're going to be talking about, it applies to other relationships as well, and it would certainly apply to a future relationship or a future marriage that may be part of your journey. We're talking about the power of God to reclaim marriage. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for the gift of marriage, this beautiful relationship that is the most difficult of all human relationships. And, and I, I know from personal experience how frustrating it can be, yet I know how beautiful it can be. So God, I pray that you'd paint a picture for, for us here today, that you would relieve us of the pressure of figuring this out ourselves, but that you would come and bring your power to reclaim our marriages to be what you want them to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the name of this series that we're in that is following Easter is this idea of reclaiming. And today, of course, we're talking about reclaiming marriage. And in the weeks to come, we're gonna talk about reclaiming other things in our lives by the power of God, not by our own strength, but by the, by the power of God. Now, the subtitle for this message is Taking Back What Hell Has Stolen. Last week when we launched into this series, I didn't talk so much about this subtitle, 
But the reality is that there are some people who are foolish enough to believe that there is something called hell, that there is some existence of hell, that there is an enemy, a devil, that there are are, uh, demons wandering around that have influence over our lives, that have some kind of involvement or influence in our lives. I happen to be one of those foolish people. I happen to believe that that, in fact, is the case. C.S. Lewis is also one of those foolish people. In in the event you don't know, C.S. Lewis was a writer around the time of World World War II. He was an English professor at Oxford University, and then he went on to Cambridge University. And uh, he originally was an atheist, and in an effort to prove that Christianity is not true, that it is not the story of humanity, in an effort to prove that, his journey led him to a belief in Jesus as Lord. And, uh, and so he has amazing writings and allegories, the Chronicles of Narnia, et cetera, just some uh, tremendous writings from C.S. Lewis. One of the things that he wrote that I, I talked about last week is a collection of letters that we refer to as the screw tape letters. They're called that because they are letters written by, it's a fictional satire of this book is a, is a satire of hell's efforts to negatively attack, to attack humans and their relationship with God. And so it's called the Screwtape Letters because Screwtape is a senior demon. He is writing letters to his protege, his nephew, Wormwood, to help Wormwood have an attack on someone who is only known as the patient. And, and so... Uh, uh, there's a number of letters that were accumulated to, be, uh, to form this book called the Screwtape Letters. In letter number 26, Screwtape talks to Wormwood specifically about the love relationship. He says this. He says, courtship is the time for sowing those seeds which will grow up 10 years later into domestic hatred. The enchantment of unsatisfied desire produces results which the humans can be made to mistake for the results of love. And so this is just the beginning of this chapter where he goes on to talk about how the enemy could use marriage and love and, and, and the hurt and the brokenness there as a tool uh, to, to, have, to attack marriage, to attack people's relationship with God. C.S. Lewis is one of those foolish people who believe that there is such a thing as hell and demons, etc. More importantly, Jesus was one of those people who believed that there was some supernatural battle going on, that there is an unseen world going on all around us, that Jesus, before his public ministry, he spent 40 days in the desert, tempted by Satan. Jesus has multiple stories of casting out demons, of uh, having experiences with um, supernatural beings. Jesus talked more about hell than, uh, than any other character in the Bible talked about hell. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Jesus very much believed in this. Uh, at one point, John, one of his disciples, he kind of summarized part of Jesus' purpose by saying this in 1 first, in first John the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. (laughs) 
the reason Jesus came was to take back what hell has stolen. I, I, I think that's pretty powerful. I mean, Jesus believed in this. Yes, I believe that there is a supernatural battle going on for your heart, that the forces of heaven and the forces of hell are uh, at one another, and I think a target, a main target of that battle is marriage. I think marriage is a battlefield. God is fighting for your marriage. And the enemy understands that when we take marriage out, when we wipe out that uh, uh, connection, that commitment of humans with one another, that it, it, it gets to impact everything else. That when that one is being knocked out every day of every week is affected by that. That's why God says, I hate divorce. I hate what it does to the people that I love. And so there is an attack on the marriage because it affects every part of our lives. It affects our future. It affects our kids' future, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you may not believe, like the foolish ones, that there is such a thing as hell or a demon or whatever. And, and that's totally fine. Totally uh, thankful that you're here. And we can explore the rest of this journey here today, even without that uh, belief. I just wanted to let you know that that's, that's what I believe. And that's kind of the foundation of where I'm going here with the rest of this message. But even if you don't believe in that, I think we would agree that there are some foolish things that we tend to do in marriage. There are some things that we tend to do that, that have a negative impact on this relationship that we want to be healthy. <laughs> There's two things I want to take a look at today, two things that everybody does in marriage at some point on some level, and they're foolish things that we bring into a marriage. The first one is this. At some point, in marriage, you look at your spouse, this person with whom you are in a lifelong commitment, you look at that person and you think, I could do better. <laughs> now hopefully you don't say it out loud. I, I highly do not recommend that if that thought comes to your mind that you let it come through your mouth. I highly recommend you do not go that path, that pathway, because the reality of if it's true that at some point we all look at one another and think, I could do better, if that's true, then that person has done that to you at some point. Or even in that moment that you're thinking that, they might be thinking that of you. You understand what I'm saying? The reality of this, you're all saying yes, okay, yeah, okay, good. The reality of this, it, essentially what we're saying when we kind of think this idea of I could do better, another version of that that you might be able to relate to more, more easily is this idea of you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not, as I've watched you this week, as I've watched you today, as I've whatever, you're not smart enough. You're not committed enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not funny enough. You're not creative enough. You're not successful enough. And so it's this idea of, of, of bringing in that negativity in that relationship that we want to thrive, and it's not helpful. It's, uh, it led to the, the card that I gave you on the way in, if you had an opportunity to pick one of these up on the way in here. It's a, it's a quote that I'm crediting to Screwtape, but Screwtape didn't say this. Screwtape didn't say this, but this is the kind of thing that Screwtape would say. The purpose of a person's marriage is domestic hatred. I get that phrase from the section I just read. And to verify that the other person 
is not good enough. See, this is a ridiculous journey. It's ridiculous to walk out saying, this person is not good enough. Your spouse is not a car that you can upgrade. Your spouse is not a a house that you can do home improvements on and, and fix. Your spouse is your lifelong partner. It, and, and, and in that relationship, there's brokenness. There's brokenness on either side. And it's that brokenness on either side that leads to the second thing we all do at some point in, in some level in marriage. The second thing is that we intentionally hurt each other. And this one, if you are dating or newly married and you hear something like that and you think, oh, no way, no way ever would I do anything like that. And I get that. I completely understand that. But the reality is, after a while, we learn the buttons for our spouse. We know that person more than anyone else in the world. We know what buttons to push. And when we get upset enough, when we get frustrated enough, we sometimes push those buttons, or we at least have our finger on them and put a little bit weight on the button. It just, it, it, it happens. And it's ridiculous because you are one. Scripture talks about you being one with this person. So when you hurt that person, guess who you're hurting? You're hurting yourself. It's like being frustrated with the reception on your cell phone and being so frustrated that you pull your phone out and you throw it down on the concrete. Guess who you're hurting when you do that? Guess who has to deal with the consequences of that? And from my experience in that kind of a situation, it's very rare that the reception is improved (laughs) by that action. So the very thing that we want to improve actually gets hurt or destroyed. And so it's a ridiculous thing for us to hurt one another, even though we tend to move in that direction. So... I want to spend the rest of our time looking at some much better advice than the words of Screwtape. I want to look at a a proverb from the book of Proverbs uh, deep in the Old Testament. It's it's credited to uh, Solomon, who instead of these words of Screwtape, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, he says this, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Your spouse has deep waters. Your husband has deep waters. I know there are times when it doesn't seem that that's true. When you look over at him and he doesn't know that you're looking at him and he's, he's trying to get the, the cap back on the peanut butter. <laughs> doesn't work. What's wrong with the Can't get the peanut butter on here. Or you look over at him and he's in his third hour of playing video games with the kids. The kids left after two hours. Um, and you look over and you think, hmm, where's the deep waters there? <laughs> Your wife has deep waters. She has a role to play in God's story. She has a significant purpose in God's story. And your role is to draw them out. Your role as husband or wife is to draw them out. Your role is not to fix them. It's not your 
role. It's not your job to shape them into the person that you want them to be. It's your role to enjoy the person that God has made them to be. It's not your role. Let me say that again. It's not your role to shape them into the person you want them to be. It's to enjoy them. It's to draw them out and enjoy them for the people that God has made them to be. Let me tell you, it's in your best interest to do that. It's in your best interest to do that because that's the person you you enjoy the most. That's the person that you are most attracted to is the person who's drawn out. Not the person you're trying to create them to be, shape them for, but the person that you draw out who God has created them to be. You want him to discover his deep waters. You do. You want him to identify his passion, to identify uh, the deep waters of, of, of a man's heart so that he wakes up in the morning ready to jump into work, ready to jump into the opportunities that the day and the week has to offer. That might mean that he comes home a little bit later uh, from work on that day or whatever, but if he's passionate about what God's doing in his life, that's the man that you want. That's the man you want. You want her to discover her deep waters. You want her to shine. You want her to be radiant. You want her to, to want to make the most of every hour of the day instead of wishing those hours to go away. You want her to, to not compare herself with other people, but to know who she is and the strength that comes from that. You want to draw your spouse out because that's the person you'll most enjoy being with. Our job is to draw them out. So, how do we do that? How do you draw them out? With the rest of our time here today, I just want to revisit the two foolish things we all seem to do in marriage and how that connects with Proverbs 20, verse five. That's it, that's all we're doing and you're out of here early, my gift to you. My gift to you here today. So I just wanna address those first two things. Do you remember the first thing I said, the foolish thing that we do is that we, 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 we think the other person's not good enough or we think I could do better. So instead of saying, I could do better, that we would look at that person and think, I believe in you. I believe in you. I'm not trying to shape you or fix you. I believe in who God has made you to be. I, I believe that you have deep waters. Even though there are seasons when you seem a little shallow. I believe you can shine even though there are seasons where you seem a little dull. I believe in you. Instead of fixing you, I believe in you. I want to lift you up. I want to elevate you. I believe in who God has made you to be. I believe in who you are becoming. Just imagine you're going scuba diving. When I was in college, I, was, I, I joined the scuba club. And so I got uh, into scuba diving, and I very much enjoy that. I haven't done much of it recently, but I love exploring underwater. I love exploring the deep waters. Imagine in marriage that you're a scuba diver, and in your marriage, you get to explore the deep waters of marriage. Now, if you're single, then imagine on the scuba diving journey, you get to go to scubadiving.com, and you can look at 
the different places where you might want to go scuba diving. And you might think, I might want to try Cozumel, or I might want to go to Hawaii. I might want to explore the Great Barrier Reef and explore these different places. Now, I'm not talking about promiscuity. I'm just talking about the, the options to go and, and explore uh, uh, different places and, and learn different things and decide which direction you want to go. But if you're married, you're committed to one body of water, if you get my drift. You're committed to one body. And what that means is that if you're married, it is not wise to think, I could do better. You know what? I've always wanted to explore Hawaii. I've always wanted to see what the Great Barrier Reef looks like. When you're married, you get to explore the beauty and the depth of your part of the ocean. And there is beauty and depth in your part of the ocean. You get to go to, a, to the deep waters, to the depth where no one else can go. And you get to believe that God has created amazing things within that depth of exploration in that journey. And so what that means is instead of you're not good enough, we just say I believe in you and I want to explore the depths of our relationship. And so when you see your spouse doing something to better himself or herself, when you see your spouse making efforts to bring spirituality into the home or to get more connected with God or to get more passionate about life or whatever, when you see them growing in some way, instead of saying, you know what, it's still not good enough, we say, I believe in you, I believe in the direction you're going, people repeat what is rewarded. People repeat what is encouraged. So can we believe in, in one another and encourage one another and say, I see something good there. I want to encourage that. I believe in you. I want to watch that grow. I, wanna, I want to pour into that. Instead of saying, I could do better, that we would say, I believe in you. I believe in who God has made you to be. And I want to watch that grow. Now, the second thing, the second thing, and it's very connected to that first, first idea, but the second thing that we all tend to do at some level in marriage is to intentionally hurt the other person. And instead of intentionally hurting the other person, it's just real simple. Can we support the other person? Can we make efforts, can we make intentional efforts to, to not just watch on the side and, and cheer them on, but to go in and help them and say, I want to carry this burden with you. I want to figure out how, how we can't do this on our own, so how can we invite the power of God into this? Can we pray for? Can we pray with? Can we support what's going on in their lives? Can we support them instead of hurt them? When Tammy and I got first... Uh, when Tammy and I were first married, there was a movie that came out uh, that same year. We met in 1996, and there was a movie that came out that same year called Phenomenon. It was a movie with John Travolta. It wasn't a huge blockbuster hit, but uh, we, soon after we were married, we rented that movie on VHS, <laughs> slid it out of the box and put it into the machine. We watched Phenomenon on v VHX, v uh, VHS, on our, uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was like a huge 24-inch TV uh, in, our, in our living room. <laughs> and from that movie, we got a phrase 
that has been part of our marriage for the past 20 years. We have a phrase from that movie that we have used repeatedly uh, as a part of our journey, as a, as a way of us supporting one another. Now, this movie is about a, a simple man named George. And George has a supernatural experience where he, he has an experience with a light, and as, as this simple man starts to become brilliant, and his brain starts to fire on all cylinders, and he starts to become a genius. That's the phenomenon experience that George experiences. During that, there's a woman that, he, that he's in love with, and this woman loves to make chairs. And so George, in support of her, starts buying all of the chairs that she makes uh, secretly, anonymously, kind of figuring out one way to get a chair and then to sneak away another chair and to buy another chair to support what she's doing. She loves to make chairs, and she just loves the fact that people are interested in her chairs, and he's buying every chair that she owns. And, it, and it's part of the story. And um, I want to show a clip uh, for you here in just a minute. And this clip, just to set the clip up, it's, it's, a, it's a bar scene George is not actually in the clip, but they're talking about George. It's a group of simple people from this small town, and they're trying to explain how George got so smart, and they're trying to walk this all out and explain this a little bit. And at the other end of the bar is Doc, is George's doctor who's been walking this out with George, played by Robert Duvall. And they have a little interaction. Check this out. I could add a string. So thin, you know, like uh, cat gut. And he could have had it on his finger and on the glasses, and he could have made a move that way. Don't you think he, he could have uh, thrown something at that mirror somehow? We, we just didn't see it. No way. No way. It could have been a coincidence. He just thought he knew stuff. I mean, he just studied harder on the Spanish. That's all. It's not like he really knew stuff. Just studied hard at chess and made us think he was changing, but, you know, he never really changed at all. Isn't that right, Doc? I mean, he never really got any smarter. <laughs> Doc? Baines? How's your lady love? We, uh, we broke up. Really? That's too bad. Yeah. Now, George, he's got a love at his side, and she's sticking with him. You know why? Because he bought her chairs. It's pretty smart to me. You ever buy Lisa's chairs? <laughs> Doc's really drunk tonight. <laughs> Every woman has her chair, something she needs to put herself into, Baines. You ever figure out what Lisa's chairs were and buy them? Nope. But you're right about one thing. George never changed. Doc's making no sense tonight. <laughs> so the language that um, we've used in our marriage for 20 years is this thing of, do you know what your chairs are? Do you know what my chairs are? What are we doing to encourage one another's chairs? W what are your chairs? If you're married, gentlemen, do you know what her chairs are? Do you know what makes her come alive. Ladies, do you know what his chairs are? Do you know in his heart of hearts what he wants for the next 10 years? 
Do you know above all else what, what his hopes and dreams are for the next 10 years? Do you know what they are? And are you willing to buy his chairs to support him, to support her? It's a beautiful picture. Instead of the negativity we might bring, that we, by the power of God, we just say, God, help me, help me to bring something positive into this marriage. Help me to believe in this person. Help me to support this person. Now this Proverbs 20 verse five piece is just, it's just one little piece of the marriage puzzle. It is a very complex journey. There are many other verses and scriptures about marriage and many other different ways. This isn't it. This isn't the one magical piece. It's just one of many pieces on this. And if we want to, to tap into the power of God to reclaim marriages here in this church and here in this community, we need to, to do way more than one message. And so that's why here at the end of our time here together, after we've talked about one piece of the puzzle, I want to talk about something I'm very excited about that's going to happen in the fall. In the fall, we are going to start something called Marriage Mondays. We have a ministry here called Reengage for Marriages, and it's a terrific ministry. It's a 16-week journey that we do twice a year, and it's a very powerful, very effective ministry. It actually has a waiting list every time we run it, and so it's terrific. I thank God for it. Uh, in a tremendous way. It's a very powerful uh, thing. But what, what about the rest of the weeks? What, what, what about right after the re-engage journey starts or you're, you're on the waiting list or you've been through re-engage and then you, you have a, a bad season? What do we do in those other weeks? And so we want to have the opportunity every Monday night to come gather here at Mountain Park and we will talk about marriage. We will listen to you. We will pray with you. We will have opportunities. That's where re-engage will be going on an ongoing basis. There will be marriage Mondays here every Monday night, every week. You can come any Monday night. You can come with your friend any Monday night. You can send your neighbor that you see them bickering outside all the time. And you just say, hey, I want you to know about Marriage Monday. And, and just to, to encourage them and let them know there's a place where we will love on you and, and, and encourage and inspire you on this most difficult yet beautiful relationship. The reason I'm bringing this up here today is that if you would like to be part of something like that as a leader or as a volunteer, you don't have to have a perfect marriage. In fact, if you think you have a perfect marriage, it's probably not the right thing for you. You just have to have a heart for marriage. And if you want to be a part of something like that, we have a table on the, the north uh, exit if you, as you leave the church. You just give your name and contact info, and we'd love to follow up with you and, and, and build a team to prepare for this for the fall. We're excited about offering this to uh, us as a church and offering it to the community so that we can join together in reclaiming marriages. Now, as we close here today, the band's gonna come up uh, and they're gonna uh, reprise one of the songs that we sung before. And during that song, I wanna give you the opportunity, as we did last week, to exchange these vile lies from screw tape for the truth of scripture. So once again, we have uh, four stations in the back, two in the front, one up in the skyboxes. And we just invite you during this song to come up and tear these lies apart and pick up one of these cards that has the truth of scripture on it. Uh, if we have any uh, ushers available in the room, I notice here on this table, we only have a few cards left. And so uh, if we could get more cards up here up front, that would be terrific.
Um, and, uh, and so we just want to give you an opportunity to come and take uh, one of these cards home and take that truth home with you. Would you stand? I want to pray with you, and then uh, we'll sing one final song together. Father in heaven, I thank you for the beauty and the gift of marriage. I thank you that it is a picture that you've given us, the closest picture of your love for us, of unconditional love, of the opportunity to be loved by someone no matter what and to love someone else no matter what. So God, I pray that you would inspire us, that you would encourage us to love, to love our spouse as you have loved us. God, I pray that we would exchange the lies of the enemy for the truths of Scripture that our spouse has deep waters and it's our privilege and opportunity to draw them out. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.